0: Another week of the Wrigley Wingmen podcast. Another day, another dollar. Jacob, as always, Trent Johnson, along with co-host Jacob Wielander. Well, Jacob, another week in the books.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad uh, we we're gonna have some good things to talk about. The last couple of weeks have been a little iffy, been a little up in the air, but I'm excited because we got we got a, a good show coming up. And by the way, I just gave blood, so if at any point I uh, I pass out during this, just uh, just keep. Okay, on
0: I'll definitely just. Um... I'll pick you up here, but we do have a special trade deadline edition of the Wrigley Wingmen this week, and we are actually joined by a so-called rival today on the podcast. We have Benjamin Hockman of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He is a sports columnist there. Well, Benjamin, thanks so much for joining us today. It's going to be nice to get some perspective from the other side of things today. So the Cardinals made one deal at the deadline and they got a good quality left handed arm in Zach Duke. How did that fit the needs that that St. Louis has and what what's kind of the perception of, of that deal around Saint Louis?
2: Well thanks for having me on your podcast. And yeah, that that was the deal that they needed to make. They had a hole in their bullpen. It was getting frustrating. Basically, Trevor Rosenthal, who had saved 40-plus games the previous two seasons, was not the same guy this year. And he's on the DL now, so maybe it's a rotator cuff injury, or maybe he's just not the same pitcher. But regardless, there was this really infuriating trickle-down process for the Cardinals, because you take him out of the closer role, you wedge in Sung Wong O oh as the closer. Then you got to wedge people into O's spot. And there's been injuries in the in the bullpen. And Kevin Seeger's had mono for a few weeks, so there was definitely a need to get a quality arm in the bullpen. And they're quite pleased with Zach Duke, and it, it makes sense uh, if you look at his statistics. If you look at his strikeout rate, he's definitely a guy that can do well against both lefties and righties.
0: The Cubs just faced him in their series with the White Sox uh, about a week ago, so. I do know he has been a quality arm he's a veteran arm that's been around for a while and he, he seems to kind of fit the mold of the players that the Cardinals always try and bring in he seems like a good clubhouse guy things of that nature and uh, the the trickle down effect that you mentioned it's I I, I understand that point very greatly you say Sung Won Oh's been thrown into the closers role and he's been absolutely phenomenal for St. Louis so far but then you lose a very good eighth inning guy when you when you lose Rosenthal so so they had to find something there And another aspect for the Cardinals right now is their injuries have been absolutely just depleting them. We were just talking about it before recording that if you look at just the players on the DL right now, they have an infield that if you look at that on paper, you can say that could be a starting infield for almost any team in baseball. If you go Peralta at third, Diaz at short, Carpenter at second, and then Brandon Moss at first base. So the Cardinals though, they're, they they always seem to throw guys in there that do do very well. You got Jed Jerko who stepped up in the past few weeks, hitting home runs. What uh, what what's the injury report look like, and how do how do people feel about the guys stepping in now? And where where's Carpenter at on his rehab? I know he's rehabbing right now.
2: Well, it's an interesting time for us to be doing the podcast because there's a lot of transition going on uh, with the Cardinals and the disabled list. It's funny. Uh, currently uh, on the disabled list you mentioned those guys you've got the Cardinals home run leader of 2014 in Peralta the home run leader of 2015 and Matt Carpenter and Brandon Moss the home run leader in 2016 uh, at that point so a lot of power clearly sidelined but the good news for St. Louis is those guys are coming back this week uh, in fact we're recording this on Tuesday and uh, it's understood that Johnny Peralta is going to play tonight and possibly Brandon Moss too you mentioned Matt Carpenter, who, I mean, whenever I get a chance to to tout uh, his abilities, I mean, he's, one of the better baseball players in the National League, the best leadoff hitter, no offense to Dexter. I mean, if you look at his on-base percentage and some of his production, it really is mind-boggling. Um, he should be back by the end of the week. So yes, all-star Edmus Le- Diaz, who was one or two in the Rookie of the Year race, uh, is out for at least 15-day disabled list. And honestly, the general manager, John Mozeliak said he'll probably be longer than that with the aforementioned hairline fracture. The reality is that the Cardinals are getting some big bats back.
0: Yeah, I know Carpenter for a while was in the top two or three in the MLB, I believe, in OPS. So very very good leadoff hitter. And the offense is definitely going to be getting a boost for St. Louis in the upcoming weeks. The, the pitching struggled this year for them compared to last year. And currently they sit eight games back on this Tuesday. And they have nine games coming up against the Reds and the Braves before a four-game series at Wrigley Field. So it's a huge 9 games for the Cardinals coming up and the Cubs as well to try and hold, hold hold pace if the Cardinals can take advantage of the scheduling there before that series at Wrigley. So what's the perception around St. Louis regarding the 8 games, 8 games is a lot of games to make up in just 2 months. It has been done before in shorter time if you look at 2011 even when they won the World Series what what the Braves did down the stretch and the Cardinals got hot at the right time. So what's the perception regarding the playoff race in St. Saint, in Saint Louis, are, are fans looking at it as just get in and then see what you can do in the playoffs making the wild card, or are they still set on coming back on the Cubs and trying to take the Central?
2: It, it's a great question because if you ask 10 fans, you might get five different responses. Uh, what I'm getting at is uh, just last week, maybe even last weekend, it was five and a half, and the Cardinals were heading into a game. They had won that game in Miami this particular night, I think it was Saturday. suddenly they're just didn't say just, but they're only five back of the Chicago Cubs. Well now a few days later they're they're eight back um, yeah eight eight's tough to do. I, I don't think there's a lot of fans sitting around saying uh, we're gonna catch the Cubs. I think there's this this mindset of hey, we've weathered some storms this year uh, and we are definitely in the wild card mix. This is definitely not a um as uh, spicy as sexy of a cardinals team as they've had in st louis in years past like you mentioned like jed jerko there's some some random new role players greg garcia i mean you don't see a lot of greg garcia shers around town but these are the guys that are filling the holes, filling the gaps, and helping keep this team afloat. Uh, I think there's definitely a sentiment that this team is talented enough to be one of the two teams in the wild card. But if you ask the Benjamin Hockman from Miami and the Benjamin Hockman from New York and the Benjamin Hockman from Los Angeles, I think they would all say the same thing about their own teams. And frankly, the Colorado Rockies have won eight of their last ten games, and, and I think they have a lot of home games coming up where they play well. So who, who knows with them as well?
0: Yeah, you, you make an interesting point there about the New York Mets and the Dodgers, teams that make big deals right before the trade deadline, huge deals. And the, the Marlins as well made a made a deal for Kashner, not of the magnitude as the Dodgers or the Mets, but one of those teams at least is gonna be left out of the playoff race after having giving up a huge haul for, for the players that they traded for. So that's an interesting point there. It's gonna be an interesting run down the stretch. So I think, uh, Jacob, do you have anything else here that you'd like to discuss?
1: I was just going to say, I think it's very interesting that when you talk about how you're viewing the Cubs, it seems like a very logical viewpoint. Well, maybe we'll catch them, maybe we won't. Or I know me and a lot of other Cubs fans, we could be up by 15 games on August 20th, and I'm thinking, Cardinals are there, they're, they're coming. I don't think logically when it comes to that, but it's very interesting that uh, yeah. you seem to have a very uh, realistic viewpoint of where they uh where they are right now yeah and, and it, what's is there's ahead. some
2: big series coming up with these two teams too we got the one uh, in around August I think 12th and 13th and and then there's another one in, in Wrigley uh late in in September I was already looking ahead at the schedule I mean those are fun I mean last year I mean even take the playoffs out of it just those those series in September Cubs, Cardinals there were there was a uh, beanball Wars going on the vigilante finger pointing, the the Tony soprano stuff uh <laughs> It, it's just fun, right? And, there, I mean, there's nothing worse than a rivalry. I'm, I'm not trying to knock anybody. I'll say it this way. It's really cool when both teams in a rivalry are playing the game at a pretty high level. And we're seeing that now at the Cubs and Cardinals. And with Theo and Jed in charge, we'll probably be seeing that for years to come, at least from the Cubs side.
0: Yeah, I think baseball as a whole is better when you have good series between, as you say, the Cubs, the Cardinals, the Yankees, Red Sox. It's better for baseball when those teams are both competitive. The Cardinals have obviously had the upper hand for pretty much eternity, but there is 10 (laughs) games left in this this series this season, the season series. 10 games left between the two, seven at Wrigley and three at Bush, I believe. So if the the Cardinals have that chance to make that run, we were talking about they, they did sweep the Cubs at Wrigley once, right before the all star break. So there there's a chance down the stretch there to gain some games and as you said it's gonna be a fun a fun August and September through through the summer here and just where the NL playoffs take us. And well Benjamin, thanks thanks so much again for joining us today. And if there's any any, any insight that we can give you in the future, be sure to just give us a holler.
2: All right. Thanks so much. Good luck with the podcast.
0: Yep. Thank you. Again, Benjamin Hawkman of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Sports columnist there. Nice enough to join us on the podcast. Well, Jacob, we have a little bit of perspective from Cardinals Nation now on their, their uh, deadline move for Zach Duke and kind of what the perception is around the city about the St. Louis Cardinals. So I, as you said to, to him, it was uh, so, some logical thinking. If I think if the roles were, were flip-flopped, if the Cubs were eight games back, and it's kind of just like last year. The Cubs were around eight games back, you know, for most of the season. And I really never thought that they could, because they were so far back, especially early with how the Cardinals started last year. And the Cubs, you know, we didn't expect them to be what they were last year. But at the end of the season, you just just never know. You got to win almost every game down the stretch in September to catch the team that's ahead of you. But, I mean, if the Cubs hit another spurt of one and nine, you, you would think that it's going to yeah. be right down to the
1: wire. And it's interesting. And I think you hit on it during uh, when we were talking to him that you said, you know, the tides have kind of been in their favor forever. So we're kind of conditioned to think a certain way. And the, they're conditioned to think. The, the almighty pessim- way. And yeah. It's interesting. It's like,
0: as Blackhawks right. fans, you know, we're Blackhawks fans. We expect to win every playoff series that we're in, you know, with three titles in five or six years. Going into those. The playoffs we expect to beat not not even trying to beat the st louis horse but the st louis blues this year when they when they beat the blackhawks in the playoffs that that was one of the things you know you'd expect to win the blues seem to struggle in the playoffs and and the tides kind of turned there this year where the, where the blues knocked off the blackhawks so it's kind of kind of thinking like that the the cardinals they have all the right to have the mindset that we're always going to win because when they've been dominant over the course of especially our lifetime
1: when push comes to shove they usually end up uh they're 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 the ones standing
0: yep it's usually pretty
1: frustrating you know
0: (laughs) yeah so the cubs made their deadline deals as well we'll hit on those now we already hit on a chapman last week but they made one right before the deadline and uh joe smith a reliever from the los angeles angels of anaheim jacob
1: a reliever from the witness protection program.
0: <laughs> uh, we have Joe Smith. All we Remember the replacements when the guy in prison got to play? Yeah, with, I do. And he's like, all we have here is he's been a three-year resident of the state of Maryland, and he likes to knit. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's Joe Smith. But yeah. I and it's, whenever I saw his picture, I was like, I think this is the dude that has a crazy windup because I think he pitched against the Cubs in that season opener at the very, very beginning of the I season. Yeah. Think- And I was like, I think that's that dude that throws crazy. And then so I sent you a video of him striking out someone. I was like, I can't wait to see this. And you're like, oh, that guy. This is going to be awesome.
1: Because I knew there was a guy named Joe Smith. And if you would have asked me, I probably would have guessed he played for the Angels. But I wouldn't have remembered who he was. But yeah, as soon as you uh, sent me that video, he does that little toe tap thing even before he goes over. And I was like, we have a side armor. When was the last time we had not just like as far as arm angles a weird pitcher i've been thinking about it i don't know yeah it might have been like the 30s when everybody <laughs> threw like that
0: yeah i like don't know i only things. remember pretty much straight overhand i mean there's a couple that went maybe like three three quarter arm angle but that's i mean that's standard for a lot of a lot of pitchers
1: yeah so i'm excited to see that and as joe madden put it see a little funk
0: yeah, there's, you've got to have funk bomb.
1: in the bullpen is
0: what Joe Madden said. So it'll be interesting to see the bullpen all of a sudden becomes a very crowded place. Yeah. It was very it thin before Aroldis Chapman. Now it seems like it's crowded. Justin Grimm's been throwing very well. There's not really a spot for him. Carl Edwards has been dominant for the most yeah. part. Now well, it's like before- he could easily go back to the minors just because he doesn't have experience. So it's 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 very crowded.
1: Well, and before the trade deadline, if you would have said, you know, what's the the Cubs biggest weakness, I think a lot of people would say I actually I
0: actually ran a poll on our Twitter and it said what do the Cubs need to improve the second half and it was eighty two percent bullpen is what the votes were and it had like a hundred and thirty votes. So the vast majority of fans thought that the bullpen was the thing that needed the
1: biggest help. Right. So the Cubs go, go out and every single one of their trades is uh to bolster the bullpen between yeah, I the I forgot to even Montgomery, mention Montgomery. And right. So they went out and uh, they really kind of, They I don't want to say they went overboard, but they, uh, they made that a focus. And speaking of Chapman, uh, I was at the game's last, uh, let's see, it would have been Thursday and Friday. Uh, the Thursday game was that last game against the White Sox, the pitcher's duel. And I was there, and Chapman comes in. Now, it wasn't his first appearance, but I believe it was his first save situation. So Madden walks out. He calls for the lefty. And the place starts, you know, slowly they start realizing it and they start getting loud. And I'm here to tell you that place was loud. So he comes up and he starts pitching. And he is just absolutely blowing it by these guys. I don't even remember who was up that inning in that ninth inning, but he was blowing it by them. Actually, he came in in the bottom of the eighth. That's right. And it was so funny because he was blowing it by these guys. The guy would swing and miss like a half second behind the pitch. And the entire place would go, yeah! And then it would get really quiet after every pitch. And 40,000 heads would collectively turn and look at the Jumbotron, where the radar gun is. And then it would flash up, you know, 103. And then there was like a, yeah! After every pitch. There was once or twice where we all look at the Jumbotron and flash up 99. And everyone would go, boo! It was just like a really fun, It really did feel like a playoff atmosphere. Um, And I was telling you after the game, Chapman is just a special tool. And he's kind of in the same vein as Billy Hamilton in the sense that he can just do something better than anybody else. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other
0: day. I was like, how do the Reds always get the players with the weird qualities that only one other player... Not even one other player in the league has. I was thinking about that exact thing you just stated. Like, I was like, they just got Billy Hamilton, who's like the fastest dude on the face of the planet that's not running in Rio this week. They have, or Aldis Chapman, who could throw the discus farther than half the people competing in Rio this week. And it's just like, how, how do the Reds always end up with those guys,
1: you know? And it's not just that they have the fastest dude, which they do, but... Like they, like he's actually. I mean, they, they know how to utilize him, which sounds stupid because of course if you have a guy that runs fast, you're going to steal bases and stuff. But it just seems like they know how to utilize Billy Hamilton because he's not a complete baseball player by any means. He has some glaring weaknesses, but still, it just seems like he kills us. And it's usually Lester who refuses to throw <laughs> over there. But it just seems like he is just all, always killing us. And same with Chapman. He's been doing this to everyone. But it's fun now to, for us as Cubs fans to watch the team and watch Chapman, who can just do one thing better than absolutely anybody we've
0: he, is, he throws pretty hard. I'll say that, Jacob. I don't think I'd touch it. But, you know, you know I watched last week we talked about that documentary, Fastball. He said, go ahead and yes. watch it. So I watched it Sunday night. And Nolan Ryan, 109 miles per hour. 109 by today's standards 109
1: and this is how they determine that nowadays when it says Chapman is throwing hundred three miles per hour that is the speed that is taken I think it's like 10 feet in front of the mound we um, where back in the day like when it would say on the jump are on the radar gun hey Nolan Ryan's throwing 101 miles per hour that speed was taken right in front of home plate so according to science uh, the gravity and other forces cause that ball to slow down a bit from the time it leaves the hand to the time it crosses the plate. So they're using the equations and everything to try to project out and say, if Nolan Ryan was throwing, you know, if the if the ball would have been measured 10 feet away from him back then, like it is now, then yeah, Nolan Ryan would have thrown 109 miles an hour.
0: That's insane. That's so fast.
1: And by the way, Nolan Ryan was doing that when he was like Thirty, like he was old he was 40 something like he was old and he the last pitch he ever threw before his shoulder literally just burst into flames didn't they say it was 98 miles per hour yeah i think which that's means what it they was said. probably like 102 miles an hour according to today's standards yeah an ageless wonder yep. nolan ryan so we, we talked to
0: like we that. talked to benjamin earlier from the st louis post dispatch and we got some St. Louis perspective on those trades. We're trying to work out getting some Pirates members on here, some Pirates media members, some Pirates bloggers. They've agreed to it, but we're working on a time to get their perspective of where the Pirates are at as well. Just from your perspective and our perspective, Jacob, the Pirates had a very active trade deadline. They moved a lot of arms around. They traded closer Mark Melanson. They They traded Francisco Liriano. So that, that's two of the bigger names in the Pirates pitching staff. What do you make of the Pirates' moves here this past week?
1: It's interesting because its I wouldn't call it a full-scale sell-off, like a tank or anything like that. It's almost just like a low-key, we're selling, we're not buyers. And what I think it does is it makes it that more likely that the the wild card will come from the NL Central, like it did last year. i I mean, not to say there aren't, other teams not to say like the Mets and the Nationals and the Giants and even the Rockies like he mentioned but um I really think it's just it's going to make it a little that much more easier for the Cubs and Cardinals to just whoop up on everybody and kind of do a little bit of what we did last year to separate ourselves from the pack it's just I mean really all it is it's one less team that's in the hunt not to say that they're going to be a horrible team now but obviously that's big when you're losing Liriano and, uh, and Melanson
0: yeah I said it on on our Twitter account that a lot of the Cubs fans, I think they care way too much about what St. Louis does. Like, if you scroll through Twitter and see some of the Cubs fans, are like, oh my gosh, St. Louis just won again. I can't believe it. It's so stupid. Yada, yada, yada. The Cubs right now have an eight-game lead, right? So if you yes. do the math and you say they go plus one the rest of the way, one game over 500, that means the Cardinals have to go 37-20 and 20 to catch them. That's a pretty good record. 37 and 20 is very doable, right? You agree? Right. But the Cubs are only going to go one game over 500. I doubt it. If I'm being a realist, I would say probably seven to nine games over 500. So that would put the Cardinals record at 44 and 15, 43 and 15. That's, that's very difficult to, to do.
1: Right. I feel very good um, about where the cubs are at and it's interesting because sometimes when i look at how much time is left in the season i hear two months and i think oh gosh there's time for the cardinals to close a 15 game lead or like i was saying uh, during when we were talking to uh, ben it's like i just i have this irrational fear but when you look at it and you actually crunch numbers like you just did it's like okay, well, there'd have to be some spectacular things going mm, on. The
0: Cardinals would have to be very, very hot, which is doable because they do have the, a very good offense, and their their pitchers have shown that they can pitch. Last year, their pitchers are what won them 101 games or 102 games, and this year they it just haven't sense. had it. It's it's very bizarre. So if they get hot for a month, you could see the Cardinals having a 20 and 10 month. You know, I'm something also glad like that. that. But the numbers, <laughs> when you crunch them down, make you feel better than just seeing, oh, the Cubs lead by eight games.
1: Yeah, and I'm also glad he brought up the point that this is not a sexy Cardinals team. I'm glad he brought up the point that Jed Jerko is doing a lot of this damage, which we in the past have marveled at, that Jed Jerko is doing all this to us. So I'm glad that, that's, that they're at least uh, also surprised by that, because that would make me very mad if they just assumed that every single you know like replacement-level player they stick in there is going to be great. So I'm glad that they at least realized, too, that it's ridiculous that Jed Jerko and Garcia are doing these kinds of
0: things. Yeah, the Cubs are in a very good spot. Eight games up, ten games left to go against the Cardinals. I think if the Cardinals wanted to make a serious run at the NL Central, I think at minimum, they would have to go seven and three against the Cubs.
1: Yeah, and like he said, it's going to be some intense series. here. Uh, There's going to be, be marriages broken.
0: Up. There's going to be broken marriages between Cubs and Cardinals fans. If you were brave enough to marry someone that's a diehard fan of the other, I applaud you. Not sure if I could do it. But, uh, yeah, there, I mean, friendships lost. I have a few Cardinals buddies. It gets heated sometimes via text messages.
1: <laughs> and see, it never – I mean, this is, at least for me, kind of new territory. Because the last time that we were competing against them for a playoff spot, I was like seven years old. I, I mean, I guess they're – I don't know. It just seems weird that we're that we're on the same level as them. I've spent my entire life looking up at them in the standings and now they're like now they're the ones going, I don't know if we can beat the Cubs. I don't know if we can get past Theo. And it feels good I think, but it doesn't make me any less scared that they're still down there.
0: Yeah, if the Cubs have a winning record in those ten games against the Cardinals, I would say that the division race is over. If they go five hundred, I think it's pretty much over. But it would it would be great if the if the Cubs could get hot against the Cardinals and maybe win seven of ten, eight of ten, get really hot against the Cardinals.
1: Yeah, and like uh, we've talked about in the past, the Cubs' schedule coming up, it's at times it's not great. So. I think
0: that the September schedule is is pretty difficult. But if you look at August as a whole, if you take St. Louis out of there, I think they they should do do work in this month of right. August. I think at the end of the day, the Cubs should be about eight to 10 games over in this month alone.
1: And, the and difference... if the Cubs
0: go eight to 10 games over in the month of August, that's that's going ex- to, that, I mean, you'd think that would be good enough to extend the lead in the division.
1: And if that lead is really high on September 1st, that's when pressure starts, starts setting in for a lot of those Cardinals players where, you know, as long as you just, Keep keep a cushion because I think sometimes we forget how hard it is to to break away cushions. I mean, the, our, our lead has been at times what? What was the biggest lead we I think had it was so around 14, was it 13 11, or fourteen?
0: I think it was thirteen or fourteen. I think as it was far up as our there.
1: Lead, was it okay?
0: It may have been so like eleven then, to the Pirates and thirteen to the Cardinals. At one point, the Cardinals were like thirteen back.
1: Okay, so. It's it takes like it takes, like we said earlier, something spectacular to erase an eight game lead in a month and a half. So yeah, I, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. It doesn't always feel like I should be feeling good, but I'm feeling good.
0: Yeah, and the Cubs just have to hit one one hot streak. I've been talking about it all year. There's gonna be some point where they win like thirteen of fifteen. And I still think it's coming. I'm not sure when. But I've been saying it all year that I'm like, they're going to get hot. They're going to win like 13-15, 15-17, of of maybe 10 in a row. Something along those lines, I think it's still going to happen. Because the and pitchers, they've been hot.
1: How magical was that All-Star break for what it did to this team? This is something I've been thinking about a lot. Let me just look at Arietta for a second. Uh, going into the All-Star break, he was not have Jake Arietta starts. Um, he just it wasn't happening Um, and so then uh, the all-star break happens he even says you know it was really good for me just to put a ball down for three days to spend time with my kids Uh, we saw you know he was taking his son to go meet Big Poppy. it just looked like he didn't care about baseball at all which was a good thing then he comes back and he had I mean he's been very good in his last three start four starts however many starts he's had since the break he's been very good
0: Yeah, he had that start against the Mets. That was really good. And then the White Sox game, he gave up four homers. But that that was, uh, if you look at the FIP, that doesn't count home runs. It was a good start because Todd Frazier just had that one homer. And then the other night against the Mariners, he pitched good again.
1: And it gets me thinking, too, because we talk a lot on here about um, you know the immense value of sabermetrics, but at the same time, there's definitely a human element to this game. And the one example I think of more than any other. Let's look at Jason Hamill. The Cubs signed Jason Hamill um, for the first time, and he comes over and he has a very, very good half with us that first half. He was very good. We send him along with Samarja over to Oakland. Uh, for, that was the Addison Russell trade. After going to Oakland, Hamill was bad, not even, you know, not he's facing AL lineups bad. He was bad, bad, bad. So then uh, the A's lose to the Royals in uh, in the Wild Card game. He comes back to Chicago. We get him a game. And he hasn't been an, an ace by any means, but since coming back, he's been really good. He's been pretty, he's been really good for a fourth starter. So the reporters were asking him one day, they said, what, how do you explain this? How is it that you are good here? You go to Oakland and you just... It, it falls apart. You come back, and you get up again. And he said, honestly, a lot of what it was is the fact that that move to Oakland was so hard on my family, between his wife, and he especially mentioned uh, his kids. And it just got me thinking. Like, imagine if you're Billy Bean, the amount of analysis, the amount of scouting, the money, the investments to bring in Jason Hamill, and it all gets derailed because – His kids don't like it there, and Jason Hamill is not, like, he's distracted. That's insane. So it just keeps proving to me that there's definitely a human element to this game. Just look at what Arietta was doing before. Look what he was doing after. Again, I'm not saying it's completely because he was able to spend time with his kids. I'm sure there are other reasons. I'm sure he really did just need a few days rest. But I believe him to a certain extent. I believe that's true, That just that mental break. Because think of what would have happened if he would have continued pitching the way he was right before the All-Star break. We're probably not up by eight games.
0: Yeah, probably not, even though they really haven't been winning his starts, even though he's been pitching good. But he, he's uh, helped the bullpen out. The bullpen hasn't been taxed. Things like that during his starts. Well, Jacob, we're pretty much out of time, but it would be a disgrace if we did not mention the comeback from the other night oh, against yeah. the Mariners, the 6 to nothing comeback. Just what were you feeling about that?
1: I was wondering if John Lester, even as an 8-year-old in Little League, has ever been dogpiled for a walk-off hit. Probably not. I'm guessing. I was watching. Mattis gives
0: up that home run in the first, and I'm like, man, Nelson Cruz just bombed that 82 on our changeup. So the second inning comes. He gets two outs, and a guy gets on. Cano comes up. I turn to Cassie, my fiancé, and I go, if Cano hits this out, I'm done. I'm done watching this game you know, crushes it and i'm like all right i said it i can't <laughs> i can't watch it anymore so i turn it off and then i sit there for a while and i'm like eh. i don't have anything better to do i might as well watch it and so the cubs start chipping away and then it's six to one six to two six to three and i'm like all right all right let's see what we can do here and then in the eighth fowler gets called out on a ball that was just off the plate a strike three looking and i was like oh man there's hashtag fake rally poking its ugly yeah. head and then the ninth was just amazing. Extras were awesome. That was the most, that's gotta be the most exciting game they'll have all year. Regular season. Two
1: more, two more things I'll add to that. One, God bless Travis Wood. And two, I know it's really frustrating when Jason Hayward's not hitting, but he's doing everything else perfectly. His, just his base running and the defense. And I mean, he almost hit that. Uh, his double was almost a walk off. So, uh, I really hope he comes around and starts hitting because everything else he does is just, at least in my mind. Yeah, his
0: base running. His base running is definitely some next-level stuff. If you just go back and watch the John Lester play, the Mariners made some absolutely amazing defense on that play. The pitcher comes off the mound right away. He does a glove flip in one fluid motion. The catcher catches the ball barehanded, great, fast. Javi Baez, like, sweep tag. And Hayward, if he slides straight into the plate, he's gone. But he, he yeah. went a little bit to the uh, backstop side, slid in head first, got a hand in there, and the rest was history. So there's that. Probably the most exciting game the Cubs will play regular season all year. And we're going to have to dip out now, Jacob, as always. This was another episode with the Wrigley Wingmen, Trent Johnson and Jacob Wielander. A big thank you to Benjamin Hockman of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch for joining us at the beginning of the episode, talking about the Cardinals post-trade deadline and where they stand. Send us an email, ringlewinkman at gmail.com. Shout out on Twitter, at ringlewinkman. As always, go Cubby.